Amen. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Man, we've been given a gift so we can give that gift to somebody else. Can you say amen? Amen. I am so excited today. Uh, Brother Eddie has on a suit. He looks really sharp, and he's preaching today. Amen. Man, we appreciate this man of God. Can you say amen? We really do. We really do. Amen. I watched, I watched because that's what I do, and I watched during the whole worship service. I looked over, and I seen Brother Frankie, and I seen Brother Eddie, and you know them two never sat down, never let their hands down. Man, that's, that's awesome to look at and see the mind of worship. Come on, Brother Eddie, preach to us. After he gets some preaching, we're going to sing a song. We're going to give an altar call, and here's how this works. As they sing that song, if you hear something you need to respond to, if you need prayer, we're going to pray with you. If you need to pray at the altar, the altar's open. If you're here today and you're lost, you're in the right place. And if you're here and you're saved, you're in the right place. Because not only is the church a haven for saints, it's also a hospital for sinners. Backsliders, and that's what the word of God is for. So anything that God does in your heart, hey, listen, we're not going to look down on you. We're going to cheer you on. And if you need somebody to pray with you, you will not pray at this altar alone. Because we all need each other. Can you say amen? If you're excited to hear Brother Eddie preach, clap your hands real loud to the Lord. The second book of Timothy, chapter number two. The Apostle Paul writing to his beloved son, Timothy, whom he had begotten in the gospel. And uh, for sake of time, I'll just read a couple of scriptures, maybe refer to more, but in the second chapter of Second Timothy, verse 1 says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure, endure hardness, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, for no man that worth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You can be seated. The Apostle Paul used a lot of terminology about uh, uh, military and also about sports. And so some of the stuff I'm going to say today, it's just going to be about some things that compare us as Christians to what some of the natural th uh, soldiers go through with. I was thinking about this man. He, he had just got married, hadn't been married too long, and his wife kept giving him the evil eye. You men know what that is? And so he told her, he said, listen, I married you for your looks, but not the ones you've been giving me lately. <laughs> she said, well, you lied to me before we got married. He said, what do you mean? She said, you told me you was well off. He said, well, I was. <laughs> I did, just didn't know how well off I was. <laughs> so what goes around comes around. Amen. The word soldier, as the Apostle Paul began to tell, he said, uh, endure hardness as a good soldier 
of Christ Jesus. And then he's told about who, who hath chosen you to be a soldier in the next verse. And whether you know it or not, you're a soldier if you're saved in, in God's army. And uh, a soldier is a skilled warrior engaged in military service. So just to give you a little brief rundown of what, what a soldier is, is and what does, 1960 West Virginia was in bad shape as far as work was concerned. The mining industry was down. People were leaving the state, some going south, some going north. Anywhere to try to find a job to keep, keep the family going. A lot of people left West Virginia, and some of them never came back. So as a 16-year-old boy uh, in a family of 15, times were hard. So I quit school, went to Chicago, and got a job working in a horseradish factory. Anybody ever eat horseradish? You ever eat horseradish just by itself? It's powerful. Horseradish comes in big long roots like a carrot and you have to put them in a hopper and peel them and then you have to have a gas mask on when when you grind it up. The fumes is so powerful. So I worked uh, at the horseradish factory because I was under 18 and couldn't get a job in a in a factory where they had a lot of machinery and uh, for a dollar ten cents an hour and while I was up there in Chicago when you turn 18 years old, I don't know if you still have to do it or not, but every male had to register with the uh, uh, government when you turned 18 because back then they had what they called draft. You got drafted into the service. So I registered up in Chicago, and sure enough, when they started calling people and drafting people, they got them out of the city first. So I probably would not have got drafted if I'd stayed in West Virginia, but... Anyway, I, I was up there and I got drafted into the service and uh, I was getting ready to learn what a soldier is. And a soldier is a skilled warrior engaged in military service um, and what they do, they train you to be a soldier. You're, you're, not, you're not just picked up off the streets and put straight into the war. You go through a training. But the training you receive is to prepare you for a war. Because when a war breaks out, they get people over there that, that knows what they're doing. And, and, and they're fighting and they have to be skilled. But let me tell you something. The, the eight to ten weeks that's called boot camp, or as I called it, hell on earth. You, you was drafted into the army and they begin to train you. They got guys they call drill sergeants. They're big, they're ugly, and they're mean. But their job is to prepare you for a war. They will not let you go through there unless you're prepared. The biggest thing they held, held over your head was if you do not go through basic training and if you do not pass the test going through basic training, then we will recycle you and send you back through again. You you're talking about motivation. Now, that will motivate you. When, when you think you're going to have to go through uh, 16 weeks or, or 18 weeks or 20 weeks instead of just a regular 8 to 10 weeks, that will motivate you. 
And so I've seen a lot of people come through the lines from all over the United States, California, uh, different places that you, you met guys you never, you never met before. But here, here's the first thing they started to do. The first thing they wanted to do, they want to take away your identity. Because you're not going to be identified as Ed Tucker anymore. You're going to be identified as a soldier in the United States Army. And so they take your identity. How did they do that? Put you in a barber chair. Say, how would you like your haircut today? And I said, just trim it up. I said, okay. Right down the middle. They cut it every bit off. Why? Because we was going to look all the same. We was going to be dressed the same. They took my clothes. They gave me military uniforms. And they began to start training me. Now, I, I can imagine if we had to go through that kind of a training to be a Christian, how many would be here today? This is a big number for a holiday weekend. Uh, there's a lot of people here because most of the people, when it comes to holiday weekend, they want to spend the last, ones, uh, last one of summer, especially summertime. And so you've been here today is a good testimony to your wanting to serve God. So no matter how much training they put you in, it, it still will not prepare you for the horrors of war. I noticed in the old Bible when the, a, a leader was rose up or a king that walked after the ways of David, then God would fight for his people. He would bless them. When they got somebody that didn't know what they was doing and they would go wild and lead the people astray, then God would turn them over to the hands of their enemy and they would be defeated. And any time uh, a prophet or anybody in the Old Testament that lost a battle, they had to have a talk with God to find out what was going on. America has been going downhill for a long time. If I take you back to the early 50s and you'd cut your TV on, about, you know what you'd probably see? Milton Berle, uh, somebody like that, something easy. If you cut it on now, it's hard to tell what you would see. Why? America has really come a long way as far as their morals is concerned. When 9-11 happened, they tore the bu them buildings down in New York, about 3,000 people killed. America began to unify. They could, you could see support for America on all the porches. People was coming together because they saw that they had lost a battle. And they didn't know why. Uh, one of the reporters got Ruth Graham and asked her, said, why do you think God let something like 9-11 happen? She said, well, I believe God was saddened by what happened as well as we are saddened by it. But she said, let me remind you that the country that has in God we trust on our money has been pushing God out of our schools. We've been pushing God out of our homes. And the family has been under attack for a long time because the family is the foundation of a, of a nation that serves God. And if the devil knows if I can destroy the family, I can, I can get to victory. You see, when God pulls his hand back away from a country and they begin to fall into the hands of their enemy, 
The Bible says when the wicked are in authority, the people mourn. If our nation's forefathers had saw uh, a really, really distant, they would have put in one clause in the Constitution before you can ever be a president of the United States, you must have military training. I believe that would have eliminated a lot of the junk that we've been going through with today. We got people in there that didn't know nothing about military. When you send a man into war, you must know and you should know that that might be his final chapter in his life. And we get people in there, and some of the presidents, instead of having the soldiers marching, they had them skipping. You can't win a war skipping along. You got to be trained in warfare. And until we get leaders, that's got a heart that wants to serve God and go after God, then we're going straight down. We're going to keep going to go down. We're in a war. We're not preparing for a war to come. We're already in that war. And when it said endure hardness, you know what that word endure means? It means last, persist, tolerate. Hardness means firm. Difficult. I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want you to ask yourself, am, am I enduring something for, for Jesus as a soldier of the Christ? Am I enduring what I should? Or, or somebody runs into you and says, hey, somebody said you missed church to go squirrel hunting. Well, that's a lie, and I got the fish to prove it. That's not the kind of answer we want. <laughs> uh, endure, persist. They took my identity because um, the distinguishing character of a personality, that's what your identity is, and, and of an individual. Uh, I trained for one purpose, war. It was a matter of life and death. And I'm going to remind you, there's only two ways. You're either going to hell or you're going to heaven. There ain't no in-between. This is in-your-face truth. You're either going to be right or you're going to be wrong. And it's getting down to the time that we've got to make the decision. Do I want to go to hell or do I want to go to heaven? And whatever you endure in this Life as a soldier of God will be worth everything if you make it to heaven. They would not tolerate weakness in service from a soldier. We do. We tolerate weakness and about everything else because I don't know if we really think that we're just going to be in a, a battle but not a war. Do you know uh, when God called people in the old Bible to be in a battle, he called Gideon. Gideon was hiding from the enemy. And he told him, he said, Gideon, he said, I'm going to call you to be a, a leader. You're going to deliver the, the children of Israel. He said, I'm just a boy. Do you think God didn't know he was a boy when he called him? God's not looking. You know, you know people say, I would serve God. I don't have the ability to play music. I don't have the ability to sing. I don't have the ability to do this. 
The greatest ability that God wants is availability. If you've got availability, that's enough. Because God's going to do the rest anyway, not you. He's just going to use you as a vessel. I would rather have a $10 fiddle when it comes to worshiping God as a million-dollar violin locked up in a museum that you can't get your hands on. Amen. All these people running around with all kinds of talent, but you can't find them when it comes time to worship God. God's looking for availability. And we need to stand up and say, God, I'm available. I'm available. Hallelujah. I've seen a lot in the short time that I've been serving God, the 50, almost 54 years. And I've learned a lot because there's nothing like experience. Experience is what you have left when you don't have anything else left. When you go invest in something and it don't work out, you're left with experience. And let me tell you, after 54 years, you learn a lot. You learn what's, what's going on. Said, so be strong. You know what they would do in the service? Everybody's got a system. People try to cheat on the system. They give you two pair of boots. You had to change every day because you march 108 degree in, in uh, Georgia sun and sand. Your feet sweat. So you kept them boots shined. You come in from marching in there, and they were messed up bad. So what you would do, put a little polish on them and try to fall out the next morning with, with the boots so you wouldn't have to shine them real good. They made you put two white dots on the back of one pair of boots. And every morning when you fall out and you was in formation, the sergeant would come by and look. If you did not have white dots on your boot the day that it's supposed to be on there, they would pull you out. You see... There's commandments given that, that they're for your good. Not, God, God gives principles for our good, not because we, we're thinking he's punishing us. He's preparing us. And his preparation is to get us to where we can fight and we can stand and we can go to battle. When Gideon got through talking to God, he got one of his buddies and he said, he said, let's go down and listen. See what's going on in the camp of the enemy. They went down, and they heard two, two of the enemies down there talking. One of them said, let me tell you what I dreamt last night. He said, oh, I ain't going to tell me. He said, I dreamt about this barley loaf rolling down the hill, and it tore up everything. And when he got through talking about it, his buddy looked at him and said, well, that ain't nothing but, but the sword of Gideon. Gideon, although he was a young boy, he was giving his enemy nightmares. Are we giving the devil nightmares? When we hit the floor of the morning, is the devil glad uh, or is he sad? When we start praising God, does it make the devil happy or sad? You've got to praise God regardless of what you're going through with. God's not a God that wants praise when everything's going good. He said, let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. I, I can imagine my sergeant coming in saying, uh, all right, everybody out of your bunk. Hey, Sarge, I don't feel too good today. I got the sniffles. <laughs> you think he'd let me stay in that bunk? 
No. If you were sick, you went, you went to get medical care. But if you, if you could walk, you had to fall out and walk. It trained you. It made you tough. It made you have willpower. I've seen big men faint at the sight of a needle. But when they got through basic training, they was ready to go to war because they was prepared to fight. God is wanting his people to get ready to fight. How do you fight? For one thing, you got to learn to pray. That's the greatest thing God has given his people as far as having victory is prayer. You'll never, never have victory in your life if you don't know how to pray. And I'm not talking about now lay me down to sleep prayers. I'm talking about agonizing prayers. The Bible says when, the, when uh, Zion travails, sons and daughters will be born into the kingdom of God. When Zion travails, y'all you, know what travail is. You women do. If you've had a chi child, you go into a uh, delivery room with your wife. And she, they hook her up to a machine, and you're standing there looking at that pain. Pain needle starts going up. And you say, oh, oh, here comes one, honey, but it don't look too bad. And she's sitting there sweating. Her eyelashes and eyebrows done run down the side of her face. She hadn't been able to sleep for months and had a heartburn. And there her husband is. He'd been running up and down the hall talking to people eating Doritos. And he's going to tell her about Travail. Thank God I had five kids, but that was before you, you could go back with your wife. Then they didn't let us. And, and here he goes looking at it again. He gets down in her face. Oh, honey, can I do anything for you? And she's about fed up with him. She don't care what the doctor sees. She's not care nothing about him. She's there because he put her there, and she finally had enough. And she says, get your stinking breath out of my face. And he's got to get out of there. He, if he can, he better get out of there. That's what Terrell will do. It'll make you know, I don't care what somebody's saying. I need to get a hold of God. I don't care what my neighbors hear. I need to get a hold of God. When sons and daughters are born, Travail will be present. And we need Travail in the church. Agonize. Evangelize. And advertise. Hallelujah. When we get in that new church, we don't have to wait till them. But when we do, that's three things that needs to take. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, we're leaving advertising out of a lot of our, our society that we need advertising. By, uh, I've heard it read and they said, a business with no sign is a sign of no business. Amen. <laughs> If we're really going to have revival, we need to publish it and put it on every telephone pole at the stop signs. We need to let people know God is not dead. He's still alive. And advertise and let people know how you ain't, you ain't felt the Spirit of God. Come to my church. Hallelujah. Prepared. Also, uh, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6, and I'll just read a couple of verses of it. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You got to know when you're in a battle, it's not your might. You got to be in his might. And put on the whole armor of God.
It's the whole armor, and it's not your armor. You can't take credit for it. It's God's armor. You can only have victory if you use God's way. And y'all know the story of David. Try to get him to use his shield and armor. David said, I can't do that. I've not proved that. But I do know what a little old stone can do. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'd rather have the anointing of God and a little old stone as all the armor in the world when I get ready to go up against the enemy. Thank you, Jesus. If you could dig up that stone that David had, it wouldn't be no different than any other stone. The gravel shooter wouldn't be no different than any other gravel shooter. It was not the weapon. It was not the stone. It was the one that was controlling it. It's God's power. God's Holy Ghost. That's the one that's going to win the battle. We must depend upon the Holy Ghost of God. I'm not ashamed to call it the Holy Ghost. That's what the Bible calls it. Get these sophisticated preachers and said the Holy Spirit. Spitting all over the place when they say Spirit. <laughs> I love Holy Ghost. That's what overshadowed Mary and got us Jesus. Thank God. I was listening to a minister the other day. I won't tell you what religion he is in. You'll know when I tell you what he said. Mary had no original sin, she had no personal sin. Neither could she sin. Yeah, that's going on in our world today. They probably had 150,000 people listening to him. You know why I love small churches? I love poor people. The Bible said, blessed are the poor, for they have the gospel preached to them. I'm talking about the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus who was born of a virgin, but Mary was not born of a virgin. Mary had original sin from Adam. Thank God she had to be born again just like you and I have to be born again. Oh, I better read it and quit talking about it. Put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil which is the tricks. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness, of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. What's the highest place in your body? Right up here. That's where the wickedness and spiritual wickedness is at, coming against everything that God stands for. And, and when he said, wherefore take you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand? And then he's, after you stand, he said, stand therefore. Can I just mention one thing about standing? You, if you don't have a backbone, you can't stand. I'm not even going to try to explain that. <laughs> some, of, some of my... Uh, Abilities of people tell me, said, one thing about you, Tucker, said, you, you don't know nothing about subtlety. <laughs> I said, what's that? <laughs> Just tell it. Just speak. You can't stand if you don't have a backbone. We're going to need some men and, and women with backbones in this latter day. Because God's getting ready to pour out his spirit. And there's going to be a, there's going to be a, a move of God. And I'm going to be in it if I'm alive. If I'm not, I'm going to watch it, thank God. Amen. Wherefore, taken to you the whole armor of God. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about 
with truth having on the breastplate of righteousness. I, I'm not even going to read no more because I wanted to give a, a, a few points of this message, and then I'm going I'm to give you a testimony that a, a very few of you has heard that God done for me last year. Okay, good soldier. Not just endure hardness, but being a, a good soldier. There's a difference in soldiers and good soldiers. And uh, a good soldier is faithful in season, out of season. Squirrel season, ball season. Be ready for inspection. A good soldier is ready for inspection. I remember the first time they let us go to the PX after we'd been in there for probably a month and a half. We could not even go to the PX, which was a post-exchange. You know what they had there? Beer. We hadn't drunk no beer since we'd been in service because they wouldn't let you go out. You had to stay right there in your barracks, go through your training. You had a bunk, one stacked on top of the other one. The guy in the top bunk had his boots and shoes on one side. The guy on the bottom bunk had his shoes and boots on the other side. And they'd come to you and say, we're having an inspection in the morning. And the lieutenant is strict, and he's looking for anything wrong. And let me tell you something. If he finds something wrong, and you're my soldier, you're going to pay for it. So we all got ready. They told us you can go to the PX. We got down there, and I ran into an old West Virginia buddy that was in another company. Me and him sat there and talked. And man, I told him, I got to go. I got to get out of here. We got inspection in the morning. I got to get home. I got to get back to the barracks and shine my shoes and my boots and get ready. So I took off. Then I had too much beer in me. I know, hey, listen, I wasn't saved when I went home. Uh, let, let me tell you that right real quick. <laughs> and so uh, I shined my boots and shined my shoes and Boy, I was tired and I was wore out, and I crawled up there in the top bunk and getting ready to go to sleep. And here come the guy that slept on the bottom bunk from the PX. And he's, he said, well, look here, somebody done shine my boots and shoes for me. I said, oh, no. I had enough beer that made me get on the wrong side of the bunk. End up shining his shoes and boots. I had to crawl out of there. Because I knew that if I did not pass inspection, I was in for it. I wonder sometimes if we ever would ask God to come down and inspect us. That's just for you to know and not anybody else. Uh, battles will come. You know why? Because you got something that somebody wants. And the devil wants to destroy everything you have. He don't care about you and your family. He'd just soon to destroy your kids as he would anybody's. Just because you go to church, that don't mean you're going to be exempt from God's. But you've got to be right with God. You've got to be able to fight this war. I'll never forget, me and my wife, we used to pray together. And if you're a husband and wife, y'all need to learn to pray together. You, you need to sit down in the same room, and I don't care what you say. I don't care how loud you say it. Just pray and seek God. God listens to couples who pray together. Phone rung. I picked the phone up, and I knew who it was, and I handed it to her. Because I knew there was going to be a mouthful going on. In a few minutes, she got off the phone, and she said, Oh, God, listen to what's going on. And I sit there, and I listen. She's telling me what all was going on. 
Frankie, you know what I did? I said, I don't care. I'm sick and tired of fooling with them. I've helped them as long as I'm going to help them. There ain't much else I can do for them. They don't care about me. They don't care about nothing. I said, I'm just sick and tired. Let it happen, whatever's going to happen. My wife said, we need to pray. I said, yeah, you're right, we do. <laughs> After I got it out of my system, we sat down and we started praying. 35 minutes. We was praying. I don't care if the neighbors, neighbors heard us. We were seeking God. And all of a sudden, the phone rung again. My wife picked it up. I seen her smile. She said, everything's okay. <laughs> prayer. I know what prayer will do. I've seen God pray. He taught me when I first got saved what prayer will do. I lived in Cold City in a little old trailer. And there was a piece of land right above the church and right above Mom's. And I was wanting to put a trailer on there. And so I asked the guy that had at least, how about I put a trailer right there? I said, uh, I'll, I'll pay you lease money or whatever you want to. He looked at me and he said, there'll never be a trailer on that land as long as I live. Oh, I was hurt. I was, I was killed. My wife had dropped her off at Mom's and I went to church. And for almost an hour, I cried. And I, I said, God, I, I, this may not be the property that I get on, but I, I know you've got something better for me. And, and man, I prayed until I felt like I had, I had a hold of God. I went and got my wife and moms and got in the car, and we was headed home to Coal City. And that same guy that an hour ago told me there'll never be a trailer on there as long as I live, he was waiting. I don't know how long he'd been waiting. I guess he started waiting as soon as God touched his heart because when he seen my car coming up the road, he run out there and flagged me down. And he said, if you want to put a trailer on that land, you go ahead. It won't cost you a penny. That's what God will do when you get a hold of God. God's looking for his people to cry out. You know what we want to do? We want to cry out to the government. We want to cry out to mom and dad. We want to cry out to our friends. Hey, God's just as much your God as he is my God. Anyway, um, I'm going to have to cut this short. He said, uh, no man... That goes to war, entangles himself with the affairs of this world. You know what affair is? An affair. Oh, some of y'all have heard it all your life. Hey, you know so-and-so's in an affair? Just so you'll know exactly what it means, I looked, I looked the definition of it up, and it says... Uh, Affair is romantic or a passionate attachment. So it don't have to be with the opposite sex. You can have an affair with anything. If it comes between you and God. So we, we really need to check ourselves. If we really want to be used of God, we're going to have to be trained. And we're going to have to endure hardness. I mean, you're... Damon's going to hurt your feelings. And let me, let me tell you something. If y'all are not listening to the podcast, 
that Shane is recording out there and putting on the internet, you're missing it because you don't catch everything when Damon's up preaching. You don't catch everything, and you go through and listen to it again and again, and you'll get something about every time. And I'm telling you, we need to indoctrinate our mind with the Word of God. We need it so full. David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. God's looking for a people that wants it to be indoctrinated with the Word of God, that we'll be a warrior in the end time, able to stand the wiles of the devil, pleasing the captain, the one who chose us to be a soldier. And let me get down to the last one. I'm skipping two, two points, but I, I want to give you a testimony. Uh, we're a team. We're, we're just not in this thing by ourselves. We're a team. I'll never forget when I passed uh, basic training and waiting to be shipped out, happy, but they don't want you to loaf around. They'll give you something to do. I came through the barracks one day. I was upstairs, and there was a whole group of men downstairs. There was one guy sitting there in the barracks, and he had the saddest look on his face I've ever seen a man have. When you go in the army, most of the guys, if they're big, they lost weight. If they're skinny, they gain weight. The way their training was exercising. He, he was a pretty good-sized guy. And he's sitting there, and I looked at him, and I said, Sanger, what's wrong, buddy? He almost cried. He said, I failed the physical training, and they're going to recycle me. He said, there's no way I can, I can do it. I said, oh, man, I hate to hear that. He said, I, I just can't do it. He said, I've tried. He said, they're going to let me take the physical training one more time, Company A, because they're a week behind us, and they're having their physical training Monday. And he said, but I can't do it. He said, there's no use for me to even go over. I'm from West Virginia. I was raised helping people. I was raised to take care of one another. One of the soldiers' creeds is, you will not leave a fallen brother. He had fallen. I, I looked at him and I said, they don't know you over at Company A, do they? He said, no. I said, give me one of your shirts. He said, why? I said, I'll go over and take that test for you. You can't do that. I said, oh, they don't know me either. What if you get caught? I said, what if I don't? Oh, no, Tucker, you can't do that. Give me one of your shirts. I put that thing on, and, oh, I look like David wearing Goliath's armor. And so I caught the bus and went over to A Company the next day. I slowed it down bad time, but I almost got caught. Come to the 40-yard low crawl. You got to crawl on your elbows for 40 yards. There was a big drill sergeant with a test of Sanger in his hand from the previous score that he had made. And here I come, excited, doing a 40-yard low crawl, and way, way faster than he'd done it. And when I got, got to my knees and he said, hey, 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 wait a minute, come here. Because I was getting ready to run as fast as I could out of his presence. I seen him there with that score looking he come back and he said there's something wrong 
I said, what, sir? He said, the first time you done it, you done it in this amount of time. The second time, you done it in this amount of time. There's no way you can improve in a week. What's going on? I said, sir, I wanted to go home and see my family. They said I had to go recycle if I didn't pass this test. I couldn't go home. I want to go home really bad. He knew I was lying, but he looked at me. And he said, go on. I came back to the barracks. I told Sanger, I said, you're going home just like the rest of us, buddy. He said, Tucker, I don't have but $35. Let me give it to you. I said, I don't want your money. I didn't do that for money. I said, I've done that because you're a fellow soldier and you need help. We need to look around in our church and find out if somebody's falling behind. Are they not keeping up? Do they have this problem? Do they have that problem? Invite yourself to have a prayer meeting with them. Find out if there's anything you can do to help them along the way. Because we're in this thing together. And if one falls, we all should come to help pick that one up. But let me tell you what happened. I had a heart attack when I was in Florida. Tracy came down and seen what shape I was in. Y'all all know the story, and I'm not going to go through the heart attack. But let me tell you what happened after the heart attack. I was recovering. I remember the heart surgery was on February the 22nd of 2021. And so uh, I was recovering. And June the 26th, I was still on the cane and very unstable. And so people was praying for me. And all kinds of miracles got done. Uh, I died twice. Frankie died once. He just come through a bad surgery a week or so ago. And I'm telling you, me and him's just like David said, Lord, please don't forsake me in my old age. <laughs> and he won't. He won't forsake you. And so I was on the couch, and I was having trouble sleeping. I'd wake myself up wheezing. And I'd get up and sit on the couch and drop back off to sleep, but I'd still wake myself up wheezing. Well, I didn't know what was going on. I, I just know I'd been through hell and back. With all that surgery, had to have part of my foot taken off and, and lose all kinds of stuff. Thought I was going to lose my leg. And so Tracy called me, and I was talking to her, and she said, is that you? She said, are you wheezing? And I said, uh, yeah. Get ready. I'm taking you to the emergency room. And she was over in a few minutes, took me to the emergency room. They'd done an x-ray. And he said, you got pneumonia. And he gave me some antibiotics. And... Sent me home. I got a letter a little later. Said the, the surgery and the OR saw something, and he's wanting you to have a follow-up X-ray. So I went in and had another X-ray. I didn't tell Tracy about it. Didn't tell Jason. Didn't tell none of my kids. Um, Kim Sexton gave me one of the greatest compliments I've ever had. Not long ago, when I was telling her about it, she said, "You are one more stubborn preacher, ain't you?" <laughs> I said, yeah, thank you. I said, John, Jonah was stubborn. He wouldn't even get out of the sun. I said, Moses was stubborn. He argued with God. I said, That's, I believe God calls stubborn preachers. But anyway, uh, I went back to get the x-ray, and they found a mass on my lung. And so they sent me for a CT scan. I've done a CT scan. They sent me for a, uh, one with a, with a contrast. And then they said, well, we've got to have a PET scan said, we think it's cancer. And said, we, we, we don't know for sure. We're going to give you a PET scan. 
And so they put that nuclear stuff in you and put me in that machine. And I went through it. And the doctor, he said, we don't know what it is. He told me, he said, my father-in-law was just diagnosed with lung cancer. He told me that in March. His father-in-law died in April. And here I am with a mass on my lung, not knowing what it is. He said, we're going to hook you up with a lung doctor. Time kept going by and going by. They called and said, we got you scheduled for an appointment January 2nd or something. I said, I'm sorry, I'll be in Florida January and February. They said, well, you really need to get this lung doctor appointment. I said, well, do it down there. Uh, because God was giving me peace about it. I thought, God's not going to let me go through all that heart surgery and then kill me with lung cancer. If, if, not this soon, anyway. <laughs> and so, uh, all that I'd surviving. And so, uh, she said, okay, uh, what, uh, where are you going to be at in Florida? And I told her, they said, Jacksonville or Daytona Beach will get a, or uh, Orlando will get a hold of you. I went all the way through January and got a call from nothing or nobody. Finally, uh, about the first or second week in February, they called me and they wanted me to come to Orlando for the, 20, uh, the 24th of February for a lung specialist. And I said, uh, listen, I'm going home the 28th. If you can't get me in before then, I'm not going, I'll just wait till I get home and get me a doctor back home. And they said, well, that's the quickest we can get you in. I said, okay, cancel it. She said, well, will you please go to the, to the clinic up on Clyde Morse and have a breathing test done and get that out of the way so when you do get home, and I said, sure. So the lady called me for a breathing test. I went in, and she said, sir, have you ever had a breathing test? I said, nope, I just breathe because I have to. And she said, well, we're going to put you in this booth, and we're going to lock the door, and we're going to put you through a series, and she said, most people, I have to give them an inhaler before they can finish it. And she says, and then I'll unlock the door if I have to and give you this inhaler. So she told me what to do. And I went through the test, and she shook her head, and she said, I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to have to give you no inhaler. I, I about blowed the doors off that booth because I, I, I got some good lungs in there. They ain't gonna, the devil's threatening me with cancer. Let me, let me do all I can. And so I passed it with flying collars. I came home the 2nd of March. My primary care doctor, he said, I, I seen the test we done in Florida. And he said, it's, it's a really, really good test. He said, so we don't have to worry about doing that no more. So he set me up with an appointment. Now, this has been six and eight months, and I still ain't seen no lung doctor. Finally, they got me an appointment with a lung doctor. And this is, I think, in June. And he said, we're going to have to do a... Uh, a bronchotomy, and I said, "Well, what's that?" And he said, "We go down in, put you to sleep, put uh, uh, intubate you, and go down in your lung and take a piece of that uh, mass out and have it analyzed." And I said, "Okay." So they prepped me for that. This this was on a Wednesday. He told me that they was going to do it the next Wednesday. So Friday, I was talking to Tracy, and I said, "Oh yeah, I'm going to need a driver Wednesday." What are you going to need a driver for, Dad? I said, well, I'm going to have surgery, and they won't let me drive. Well, what are you going to have surgery for? I said, well, they found a mass on my lung. They what? 
This is the girl that says, I'm seeking the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for my heart, heart attack. Now she's going to have to do it for my lungs. <laughs> so she took me. We kept waiting. Couldn't get no results back. Finally, the doctor called, and he said, well, it's 80% negative, but there's 20% that we just don't know about. And to be truthful with you, Mr. Tucker, we're going to have to send you for a needle biopsy. The only way we could find out for sure what it is. So they scheduled me, and, and it was in July the 11th. Tracy took me to the Charleston Hospital. And they done a biopsy, a needle that long. He said, you can watch it if you want to. The screen was right there. He stuck it between two ribs, went into my lung, and I watched that needle go into where that white spot was, and he clicked it, and there come a chunk of meat, or chunk of lung, into the needle. He'd done that about 20, 25 times. He finally pulled that needle out. He said, you want to see it? I said, yeah, I want to see it. <laughs> and he showed it to me, and it was about that long, and it had chunks every, every half inch or so there was a chunk of meat in there. And so <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> So anyway, we didn't know anything. They said, you'll get the results in four to five days. Two weeks went by. Tracy said, have you heard anything? I said, nope. I figured the doctor in Charleston will call my doctor in, in uh, Beckley and let him know what happened. And she said, I'm tired of waiting. I'm going to call. And so she called him. And about an hour after she called him, they called me. And they said, Mr. Tucker, said, the doctor's going to call you tomorrow at 4 p.m. with the results of your needle biopsy. And I said, okay. So we're getting down to the nitty-gritty now, just hours away after been waiting a year. And the devil will whisper in my ear, yeah, got you now. You escaped one death. I'm going to get you with another one. Y'all don't know how the devil talks to you. He will. He'll lie to you. He'll tell you all kinds of things. And I just said, Jesus, have mercy on me, thou son of David. <laughs> Hallelujah. I didn't care what the devil said. I still talked to Jesus. He, so the next morning at 8 o'clock, my phone rung. And it was a nurse from the hospital. And she said, is this Mr. Tucker? And I said, yes. Could you confirm your birthday? And I said, yes. And she said, uh, have you, uh, we got the results back from your needle biopsy. And I said, you did? She said, yes. There's no cancer. It's negative. There's no calcification. I broke down. And I said, I said, thank you, ma'am. She said, oh, honey, I'm so happy for you. I said, yeah, you're not as happy as I am. So 4 o'clock that evening, the doctor called. He said, Mr. Tucker. And I said, yes. I wasn't going to tell him that a nurse, I was afraid I'd get her in trouble. I wasn't going to tell him that a nurse had called me. She, he said, has anybody talked to you about the results of your needle biopsy? I said, well, they did say it was negative. He said, yes, it is negative. There's no sign of cancer, no sign of anything. He said, we're not even going to see you for about six months and just keep an eye on it about every six months. He said, how does that make you feel? I said, it makes me feel like dancing. He said, well, don't dance too hard. You might break your leg. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand. We're in war. We're in a battle. 
I want to talk to the private singers that are in here. If you need help and you want to go home and you're not headed home right now, we want to help you. We want to help you. Because there is a heaven to gain and there truly is a hell to shun. Man, we're already headed to heaven. Look at the person beside you. Now look at the person on the other side. I promise you, they're messed up. They're messed up. The only difference is some of us are better at hiding it than others. Amen. That preacher that just preached, he's messed up. But man, we were in this together. Amen. As we sing this song, if God is dealing with your heart and you need to pray, we want to pray with you. Because we're in this war and we're fellow soldiers. We want to make sure you make it home. So this is to all the private singers that are sitting there wondering, you can fix that today. You say, I want to fix this so that I can go home. As we sing this song, like I say, if you need to pray at the altar, just walk up and kneel down at the altar. The altar is not a place of shame. It's a place of power. It's where your future is altered. It's where your life is altered. It's where your destiny is altered. Life does not have to be the way it is. You can get brand new life. He don't patch you up. He makes you born again, all over again. If you're in a battle and you need prayer, we want you to come up. We want to pray with you. We want to pray with you because we're in this together. Go ahead, Aaron.